Uh, we're going to come to a time in God's Word now. Uh, as Matt said, my name is Sam. Uh, thanks for having me back. Um, not that you had much of a choice in it, but uh, <laughs> it's good to be back among you and to, to open up God's Word uh, with you this morning. And we're in 1 Peter chapter 3, so if you grab your Bibles out, if you have one. If not, and you like a, a physical Bible, then there'll be some at the back. I think Joe will uh, give one to you if you put your hand up, if you need a Bible. We're in 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 8 to 17 in a minute, and then we're going to particularly think today about verses 8 to 12. Uh, but it's worth thinking, remembering where we are in the book of 1 Peter. We're doing this series, Living in Exile, or Living as Exiles, one of those two. Um, and you'll see in uh, chapter 3, verse 8, where we're starting, he says, finally, all of you. Uh, and You'll notice if you have your Bible there, it's not really at the end of the letter. And uh, it could be that Peter's doing a classic preacher's move of starting his conclusion and then going for another 30 minutes after that. Um, but I don't think that's probably w- what he's doing. We're in this section, I think it's the end of this section of 1 Peter that we're looking at. It started in chapter 2, verse 11. Uh, and Peter's been thinking about and, and speaking about what it looks like to live as an exile in this world. And we looked at the different types of relationships uh, that that plays out in, how we relate to the government, uh, how we relate to our boss at work, how we relate as husbands and wives. Uh, And now he says, finally, uh, all of you. So who's this for this morning? All of us, that's right. So let's listen up to what God's word has to say. Uh, Let's pray and and then we'll read. Lord, we just thank you so much again for your grace towards us, that you have saved us, that you've brought us together, that you've brought us here this morning under you and under your word. And we pray that you would teach us. Your word is a light to our path, a lamp to our feet. We pray that you would help us understand it this morning and more, and more so, especially this morning, to put it into practice. Help us to do that by your spirit, we pray. Amen. All right, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 17. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honour Christ as Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness 
and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behaviour in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Well, I've got a quote for you uh, to start with. I want to see if you can guess who this quote was from. I've got no prizes, sorry, but you can still guess. The glory. Those views are absolutely appalling. I don't support those views. That kind of intolerance, that kind of hatred, bigotry is just wrong. All of you know my views on these things. Those sorts of attitudes are simply wrong. And to dress that up as anything other than bigotry is just obviously false. Did anyone want to have a crack? Who was it? Oh, well done. Well done, Ben. Dan Andrews, that's right. The Premier of Victoria three or four weeks ago. Uh, and it was about Andrew Thorburn. You remember the Christian businessman who had just been uh, appointed CEO of the Essendon Football Club? And the views that Andrews, that Dan Andrews is objecting to are the standard, mainstream, orthodox Christian views on, on sexuality and on, on abortion. And Andrew Thorburn was told the next day, I think it was, that he had to choose between being the chair of his church that held these beliefs or being the CEO of Essendon. And he chose to resign as the CEO of Essendon after just one day in the job. Much to do with uh, Dan Andrews' comments. Here's what um, Stephen McAlpine, Australian pastor and writer, uh, said about this incident, and I think he's probably right. He said this, We are no longer a society committed to genuine pluralism. That is, a, a society where different views are tolerated. Issues like the one Essendon and Thorburn faced shows that for all our declared love of an open, diverse society, Australia is no longer genuinely pluralistic. There's a naive optimism that somehow if we just keep to our patch as Christians and maintain the line between the public square and our lives, that we'll be okay. That if we honour this new secular frame and pay homage to it, we will be free to get on with our own set of values within our own ethical communities. Wrong. The vast majority of Aussies are committed to the idea of deep personal autonomy when it comes to sexuality and don't get why we care about sex in the way we do. Most probably want us to have our freedoms, but at the same time agree with Dan Andrews when he says those ideas are hatred and bigotry. This is the world we live in at the moment, and I think this is one reason why uh, Riley chose the book of 1 Peter and this series living as exiles. We are living in a place that is not our home as Christians. It will be one day when Jesus returns and cleanses it and makes it new and gets rid of sin and, and suffering. But for now, we're exiles. And this has always been the case. Obviously, ever since Peter wrote this letter, this has been the case. But we're feeling it more and more in our current cultural context, aren't we? 
And it's in this context, in this cultural moment, that God has led us to this part of his word, which is probably one of the most difficult commands of the Bible, I think. I don't think that's understating it. It's in 1 Peter 3, verse 9, first half of the verse. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. This is the main imperative, the main command for this whole chapter, really, or the rest of this chapter from verse 8 onwards. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. That is God's will for us as we live as exiles. People will do evil against us. People will revile us, Peter says. And we are called not just to remain calm, not just to keep calm and carry on, not just to take it, not just to refrain from biting back or returning fire. All of that is hard enough, I think. But we're also called to bless, to ask God to show his favour and grace to that person, to genuinely want their good, to love them, even our enemies. It's quite an ask, isn't it? And this isn't an isolated bit of teaching. This is actually all through the New Testament. Have a look at some of these verses. Romans 12, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Repay no one evil for evil but give thought to do what is honourable in the sight of all. Or 1 Thessalonians, see that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. 1 Corinthians as well, when reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. Or Jesus himself, this is a big part of Jesus' own teaching. Luke 6, for example, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. This is a major part of Jesus' teaching and of the teaching of the New Testament. You're mistreated. You're reviled. Bless them. Love them. Pray for them. Now, it's worth saying, I think Riley touched on this last week as well, uh, that this doesn't mean we shouldn't remove ourselves from dangerous situations or from abusive relationships. We need to say that. In fact, Peter has just told us in in chapter 2, verse 14, just last chapter, the governing authorities are sent by him, that is by God, to punish those who do evil. That is part of their job. And so, We should look to the civil authorities when we've been hurt, when we've been abused. That is a right thing to do. This command by Jesus is not saying you need to stay in a dangerous situation or not to pursue uh, justice through the civil authorities. That's the point of civil authorities in part. But this is still a difficult command, isn't it, in our personal relationships? Uh, To be insulted and mocked by someone and yet to treat them with kindness and respect. To be gossiped about or slandered by your workmates and decide to speak well of them, to them and to others. 
to be rejected and ignored, maybe by members of your own family, and to still pray for them, to still long for their salvation. It's not easy, is it? As I said, I think it's one of the most difficult commands in the Bible. John Piper puts it this way. Payback is planted in the bottom of our hearts. Every one of us is a born retaliator. If we're to answer answer wrongdoing with any other response than wrongdoing, we need a change at the core of our being. I think that's right. But what we get in the rest of this passage in in 1 Peter 3, I think, is help. (laughs) Help to do this difficult command. Uh, We get motivation, a reason to do it. We get practical help about what the kind of person uh, is who can do this. Uh, And I think it's one of God's gifts uh, to us in His Word that I take for granted often. Uh, The fact that God gives us reasons, motivations, help in doing His commands. We could have a New Testament just with commands. This is what God wants for His people and a list of commands. And yet, God so often gives us reasons, motivations, incentives, help to do difficult things. And in all those passages that I read, we get different reasons and different motivations to do this difficult command. But we get two in particular in this passage in 1 Peter 3, 8 to 12. And the first is what I've called a character to cultivate, a character to cultivate. It's this list of uh, five virtues that we see in verse 8. It's a verse that doesn't quite seem to fit with everything that comes after it. So verse 9 onwards is all about how we respond when people do evil against us or speak against us. So what's verse 8 doing? Well, I think what Peter's doing is giving us a picture, a portrait of someone who has the kind of character who is prepared to do verse 9, who is prepared to bless in the face of cursing. Even if that's not the case, we should do these things, we should build this character, but I think that's probably what Peter is thinking, that you need this kind of character to cultivate this character in order to uh, be prepared when that time comes. Again, John Piper puts it this way, Verse 8 describes the inward change that has to happen in order to not be a mean-spirited, retaliatory person, but but someone who blesses those who curse you. So, what what things should we cultivate then? Well, firstly, he says, have unity of mind. Unity of mind, that is, think the same as each other. Agree with one another in the church. Uh, Now, I don't think it means you need to think the same about everything, okay? That would be impossible. And actually, God has given us, has made us differently with different opinions on things. Uh, But on the most important things, I think, on the truths of the gospel, on the truths that we find in God's word, we are to be united, Peter says. Allow God's word to teach us week by week, day by day, until We are brought together in that unity of mind under God's truth. So unity of mind. Second, have sympathy, Peter says. That is not only think together, but feel together. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. 
be willing to enter into someone's messy situation and into their messy emotions. Asking how someone's going, not just as a greeting, but to see how they're going. And this might be the the hardest part. Be willing and prepared for them to say, I'm not okay. Actually, I'm struggling. And be there with them. Have sympathy with them. Third virtue, brotherly love. Brotherly love, that is, treat each other as family, says Peter. Not even as aunties and uncles or distant cousins, but brothers and sisters. Be, as God describes the church, a family, the household of God. Being there for one another. Being willing to sacrifice time and energy for one another. Looking for the needs of others over your own. Fourthly, a tender heart, Peter says. Have a tender heart. Have compassion for one another. See each other as God sees each other, as God sees the person in front of you, one of his precious children. See people like that. When someone's struggling, dealing with them gently, restoring them, encouraging them, strengthening them, praying for them, ministering God's word to them, have that tender heart towards them. And lastly, a humble mind, Peter says. Have a humble mind. That is having a right estimation of yourself, right? As a sinner before God who has nothing to offer for our salvation, right? Understanding your own weakness, your own limitations, and then considering others as more important than yourself. Right? If we could, if we had... Uh, the thoughts of our mind kept track of how many were on ourselves versus how many for others, I think I would be put to shame. <laughs> right? A humble mind thinks of others over yourself. Now, it's a challenging list, isn't it? <laughs> Impossible, in fact, on our own. But by God's grace, He can grow us in these things. And if you are someone who is growing uh, each week, each day, in humility, in love, in kindness, compassion, that attitude, that mindset is going to shape the way that you then uh, relate to outsiders and relate to those who speak against you. So that's the first thing Peter gives us. He gives us a character to cultivate in order to do this command. And the second thing Peter gives us is a reason a reason why we should repay evil with blessing, to motivate us, right? When, you, when you're given something difficult to do, say at uni or at work, to know why you're doing it, what good thing is going to come from this, helps you to do it, helps to motivate you. And he gives us a reason here in this passage, and it's that living this way is a path to blessing. To live your life blessing Others is itself a path to receiving God's blessing. So verse 9, he says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called, that is called to this life of blessing those who revile you, 
so that you may obtain a blessing. And then he goes on to quote uh, Psalm 34, which is all about this life of blessing that comes when someone doesn't repay evil for evil, when they control their tongue and pursue peace in relationships. But it begs the question, well, actually two questions, actually. Firstly, is this a kind of prosperity gospel that Peter is preaching here? Right? Is this a promise that will we'll love life and see good days, that will be healthy and wealthy and happy in our lives? It can sound like that when we first read it. Uh, and secondly, is this a kind of works righteousness that Peter is preaching? Right? If you do the right thing, right, if you repay evil with good, well, then God will reward you. You'll earn God's favour and His blessing. It can sound like that as well. Now, the problem with these two ideas, there's a lot of problems, but the, pro- the main problem is that Peter has been saying the exact opposite of these things throughout his letter. Right? There's no way you could read the book of 1 Peter uh, and come to a prosperity gospel. You cannot come away thinking that Christians are promised health and wealth and success. Time and time again, Peter says, you will suffer. Expect suffering. We live in a fallen and sinful world. Before Christ returns, this world will be full of sickness and suffering and opposition. And you also can't read the book of 1 Peter and think think that Uh, Our good works somehow earn God's favour. We're saved by grace and freed by that to do good works. So again, in chapter 2, verse 24, for example, he says, He himself, that is Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. See, what's the order? He died for us to set us free, to pay for our sins so that we might live for righteousness. So our righteous life comes, comes after we are saved, not so that we might be saved. Or right back at the start of the letter, chapter 1, verse 3, amazing verse, according to what? His great mercy. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So there's no works righteousness. It's all by God's grace. So if, that, if that's what Peter is not saying in these verses uh, in chapter 3, what is he saying? What is this promise of blessing? How do we understand this? Well, two things. Firstly, living God's way is itself a blessing. That's what Peter is saying here, I think. Or one thing he's saying. Living God's way is itself a blessing. To not retaliate is good for us. See, we're tempted to think, at least in the moment that we're wronged, that if we don't say something, or if we don't get them back in some way, then we won't be at peace, that we won't be happy, that we're missing out that some sort of justice must be done here. I've been wronged. And so we, have to, we feel we have to assert ourselves. We have to say something back or at least say something about that person. Right? They have 
slandered me or tarnished my reputation, so I need to tarnish theirs. We think that it'll make us feel better. We think that'll lead to a good life. Here's some uh, wisdom from Daily Inspirational Quotes on Facebook. I don't know where you guys get your wisdom. Um, but, But Daily Inspirational Quotes said this, Never cry for the person who hurts you. Just smile and say, Thanks for giving me a chance to find someone better than you. Kind of sounded at one point like it was going to be a blessing, but then it's sort of not, not quite, didn't quite get there. But that's the temptation, isn't it? To bite back in some way or another, to make them know and make other people know that they wronged you, that this wasn't right. And there is a kind of satisfaction isn't, uh, in it, isn't there? That's why we do it. Feeling like you hit back with that perfect comeback, although it's usually afterwards that you think in your mind of the perfect comeback that you would have said in that moment. Getting someone back does give some satisfaction. That is why we do it. In the short term, it feels good. But Peter's saying in the long run, it's a miserable way to live. It's a miserable way to live. Verses 10 and 11 shows the good life. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. That is the blessed life. And two main things that he, that he points out. It's controlling your tongue. It says controlling your tongue leads to a good life and actively pursuing peace. Not allowing a frosty relationship to get frostier, if that's a word, right? There's someone that you're not quite at peace with. If there's some tension in a relationship, especially one at church, I would say. Actively seek peace. Seek out restoration in that relationship. That is the blessed life. And so that's the first thing that Peter's saying in these verses, I think. Living God's way is itself a blessing. This is the blessed life, even if it doesn't feel like it in the moment, to bless instead of uh, repaying evil with evil. Uh, but then Peter finishes uh, this quote with these, uh, the quote from Psalm 34, with these words in verse 12. Uh, and I think it shows us something else about this life of blessing that we can enjoy uh, if we embrace this difficult command. He says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. See, what does it mean to live a life of blessing? Uh, It's not to be free from suffering. It's not health and wealth and prosperity. It's one that even in the suffering, even in the sickness, even in persecution, or reviling when people speak against you, that you know that your heavenly Father sees you, that he's watching you, that he knows what you're going through. He does. He knows what you're going through this morning, this week, this year. His eyes are on you. His ears are open to your prayer. 
He wants to hear from us, from his children. His face is turned towards us, not away from us. That is the blessed life. When you're aware of that, when you're living for his smile, so to speak, not the approval of others, but God's approval, even in your suffering or your hard times or when people speak against you, if you're living for his approval, what's the most freeing thing in the world? That is the blessed life, isn't it? To know that your circumstances and what people say against you even do not define you, do not give you identity or joy in the end. That's a life of true blessing. So, as we live as exiles in this world, a world that, as it looks like, it's increasingly opposed to us as Christians, we will be spoken against, we may be reviled and ridiculed. What will our attitude be? What will our attitude be? What will our posture be towards those who mistreat us and speak against us? See, the temptation will be to either retaliate or to retreat. And this passage has been talking about not retaliating, but I think for me, even even more so, is the temptation to retreat, to not want to have that conversation in the first place, to retreat from the world, to uh, not uh, spend time with our non-Christian friends in certain settings where we know that we'll be attacked for what we believe or we'll be ridiculed. But God calls us to be in the world without being of the world. In the world, but not of the world. We shouldn't fight back. We shouldn't hide away. We should be in the world enough to be receiving and experiencing this evil, this reviling, and yet decide not to repay that evil with evil or reviling with reviling, but to bless And in doing so, in giving us this command and this uh, instruction, God is not burdening us. He's inviting us into a life of blessing, a life of peace, a life of right relationships, a a life where God's face is turned towards us, and a life of following in Jesus' own footsteps, And we'll finish with this. This was uh, from a few weeks ago, from chapter 2. What did our Saviour do when He was reviled? 1 Peter 2, 23 and 24. When He, Christ, was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. He himself went and bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, that we might live this blessed life of blessing in the face of cursing. By his wounds we've been healed. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for the gospel that by the wounds of Jesus we have been healed. And we pray that we might enjoy that, embrace that, 
and embrace the life of freedom that you've won for us in that. And may we go out this week, this month, this year to face even evil and reviling with blessing. It's a hard command. Please, Lord, give us strength, give us the ability to do this, to live your way for our good and for your glory. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.